Life is vital. Vital advice for your everyday life. I'm back. Hello, welcome back to my podcast, Vital Advice for Your Everyday Life. We are in a new location. I'm filming today. Hello, everyone on YouTube. Hello, everyone that's listening on other devices. I am finally moved into my apartment. It's a little echoey in here. We will fix that later. Don't worry. Welcome. If this is your first episode, I'm excited to be discussing some rather interesting topics with you today. Hello, Grim Reaper. How are you? <laughs> you can see her on YouTube. She's so cute. Hi. Oh, there's a sound outside. Okay. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about something that is controversial. Um, I feel like some people might not like what I have to say. Some people might actually learn something today, though, which is why I want to do it. Because originally this topic, which is talking about monogamy and non-monogamous type of structures in our relationships. Um, when I came across it, I actually know some people who are non-monogamous and I've never really asked the question of why or what it is or how it's done psychologically or in even in neuroscience. You're so cute. Do you like the rug? You like the rug? I'm glad to hear it. Oh, she's just off camera, by the way. Um, so this, this idea of a different structure than a monogamous structure, I feel like when it's brought up in most instances is a reaction. It gets a reaction from most people that um, I think is a knee-jerk reaction towards our own desires and our own expectations and probably a lot to do with our cultural background as well. And I have had a lot of my own thoughts be challenged through this research, which I originally found while I was studying compatibility with Dr. Helen Fisher's work. She brought up her own studies on non-monogamous relationships and that at that time I was like, oh, that's not what we're talking about now. So I'm going to put a pin in that for later. And now I'm finally coming back to it. And through her research, I found a, a lot of other uh, studies that um, have really opened my eyes to different ways of thinking. And so before we get started, I kind of want to just challenge an idea for you. If you're one of those people who believes that monogamy is the only way that we're supposed to be, or if you believe that non-monogamous relationships are unethical, immoral, unnatural, a reason for someone not to commit, all these different things that we put a label on uh, just because we're not comfortable with it, I want you to really ask yourself, have I ever been in love with someone that I am currently not with? If you are not with your first ever love in your life, then you're being a hypocrite because you are not monogamous either. If you've been in a committed relationship with someone prior to the relationships that you're in now or plan to be in the future, you're not monogamous because monogamy literally means one partner for your entire life. So yeah, stick your little finger, put it in the mirror. You're the problem here, okay? You're also not monogamous in the sense that what was that, Grim? You're crazy. You're crazy. In the true sense of monogamy, the sense that, that we, we promote is like, we're going to be with someone forever. Like the storybook ideas that we get from Cinderella, Snow White, 
Beauty and the Beast. Let's like take it even farther back to Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. You have Hamlet and Ophelia. Then there's other structures that have been promoted through the Bible and different more Christian leaning stories that promote monogamy. A lot of it is structured to true monogamy where they find their one true love. They've never loved anyone prior to this. They commit to them and that's happily ever after. That's the end of the story. But that's not our story. That's never been our story. And traditionally, it probably never will be. Why, though, is the real question. If we are monogamous beings, why are we so bad at it? Why are we unable to do what the animals do in the sense of monogamy? So that was one question that I have I'm going to answer. But I'm also going to just ask, keep your mind open to the ideas and these different structures of non-monogamous relationships. Because you might learn something about yourself today. As well as... You might learn a little bit more about people that you don't understand and you can love them better, which is important because we're all human beings and we all have different ways of loving that we can accept and and there's no reason why we shouldn't. That's my opinion. So again, I'm not going to be talking about this is my preference is better than your preference or what I currently feel like I am in terms to monogamy or non-monogamy. That's not important. That's not the discussion I am having today. This is a discussion based on the scientific facts that are around pair bonding, around non-monogamous relationships, what happens in neuroscience when we do bond with people and how it's possible to bond with more than one person. This is just straight conversation about real facts and questions that I have that Some are answered through these researchers and some are not. And I just want to discuss those with you. So that's what today is. So first question, what is pair bonding? Pair bonding is where we have a person that we connect with. And in the animal kingdom, this happens too. You can pair bond, but it literally means with one person. So you both bond together. And this usually happens in the animal kingdom after sex. And they have the oxytocin and vasopressin release, which bonds them. And traditionally within that animal kingdom, now they're a pair for life. That's usually what happens. So that's how it happens within our brains as well with the vasopressin and oxytocin release after sex. It also is released between a mother and her child when she gives birth. Oxytocin and vasopressin are also released at that time, which is what bonds them that way. Why it's different for humans, it seems like, is that also men and women can feel that type of bond, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in love. That's how it's different from the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom, they have that release of bonding chemicals. They've now made their mate. They are done. With us, we can bond with multiple people. We can have that release with our first love and our last love. And it's just as deep and meaningful the last time as it was the first time. And we are able to commit to them, not just because of those release of chemicals, but we also can have romantic love and be in love with multiple people. Again, I'm not saying that every person on this planet should be non-monogamous, but in actuality, every person on this planet isn't monogamous. So at least not in this structure that we understand. What we are termed as is called social monogamy, which means we try in a general promoted way in the world, societally wise, we tend to lean towards one at a time rather than multiple at a time. 
or just one for life. That's what makes us socially monogamous. Social monogamy is where we have one partner at that time and we also can have flings or have adulterous relationships. And this is also true within the animal kingdom, which I'll get into um, on a study of <laughs> prairie, <laughs> prairie voles, <laughs> which is uh, a really highly, I, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a very important document uh, on the research done on prairie voles in regards to monogamous relationships that everyone kind of cites. And I'll bring it up, but like, I don't want to focus too much on it. Either way, even within those relationships, though we can't define if animals feel love. We know that they do pair bond. They have relationships outside of their pair bonded mate that can lead to children. They have adulterous relationships and it doesn't seem to ever be an issue for them, whether um their mate has been faithful or not. Whereas in our type of brains, it is a problem if our mate has an adulterous relationship. And that's also true for people who are in a non-monogamous relationships. If they cheat, if they have adulterous relationships outside of the norms that and the boundaries that they have set, it also hurts them. So that makes us a little different from the animal kingdom as well. But specifically within monogamous relationships, we have a higher level of jealousy. We have a higher level of pain if our if our spouse is unfaithful to us. And we almost feel like we're failures if we can't keep our spouse happy. If we're not enough, that term of aren't I enough comes up a lot in monogamous relationships because we think that we are the only person that should fulfill them. And that is where I think we are unable to maintain a monogamous framework within human society. It's not so much that we're not able to pair bond because we obviously can. It is the element of love that gets in the way. I really do wonder if we were a little bit less monogamous, a little bit more non-monogamous in the way that we view our relationships specifically in terms to adultery, um, especially if you look at Esther Perel's work or even with Dr. Helen Fisher's work, she, she accepts the fact that, that adulterous relationships happen and to some degree they're natural. And they explain differently in their own research why it's both natural, but we're gonna focus on Dr. Helen Fisher's viewpoint of it because I find that hers is very well suited towards the topic today. And her research is that there are three different types of love that humans express. Again, we don't know about the, the animal kingdom. We can only see the chemicals that are released that bond them. But within humans, we have the initial attraction. That's kind of like the sexual attraction, right? Then you have the romantic love. This is like usually like, you know, where you have the NRE feelings, that new relationship energy within it. Um, this is the part of the relationship that I think fairy tales and J even Jane Austen, like that, that part of it is what we idolize, what we seek in relationships. And that's why we're very excited when we have it and what we try to maintain throughout, um, you know, having the honeymoon period for the rest of our lives with our partner. After that is the third stage of love, which is a uh, committed love. This is where you have the oxytocin pair bonded relationship with someone. She expresses, Dr. Helen Fisher expresses that these three different types of love, not all of it can be fulfilled 
by a single partner for the majority of people. It is very rare in some cases uh, to have all three at once, but it is possible. It just doesn't always happen. And that's why there are adulterous relationships. And that's where our that second type of love, the romantic love, is sought out for and other partners. Now, with Esther Perel's work, she discusses the different reasons why people cheat. I'm not going to talk about that exactly. I'll do that in another podcast episode about cheating. In this specific case, let's look at it from a monogamous and non-monogamous perspective. From a monogamous perspective, if we lose the ability to fill that second type of love with our partner, that's where we start to feel our our needs not being met or the partner not feeling that their needs, needs are being met. And that's when they seek out another partner in secret to fulfill that romantic type of love. This is the type of love that also in non-monogamous relationships they seek out. And this is where it gets interesting. So when I say non-monogamous relationships, I'm not just talking about like one type. There's so many different kinds. There's um, open relationships, swingers, uh, polyamory, and even within polyamory, there are like seven different, seven, eight different types of polyamorous relationships. So it's really just like covering the whole topic, not focusing on one single non-monogamous structure. But when you have a non-monogamous relationship, specifically with a polyamorous relationship, you're getting permission from your partner who you have that third type of love of that committed relationship, uh, that committed love with. You're getting permission from them to try to seek out the second type of love, romantic love within another person. That's where a lot of us more monogamous leaning people get scared because we have that concept in our brain that we're supposed to be fulfilling that for our partner. We're the ones that are supposed to bring that out in them. And it hurts our feelings, it hurts our ego, and it hurts um, the trust level in a monogamous relationship for them to seek that out from someone else. Because in that for all of us, kind of like what we seek out in relationships, like I said, what we want is that honeymoon feeling to like last forever. And if it doesn't and they seek it out from someone else, it's insulting. So in a non-monogamous sense, and in a polyamorous sense specifically, or open relationship, they're asking because they are committed to their partner. They have that third level of love. But for reasons... They need to feel desired, they need to feel romantic, and they need to seek out that from someone else to feel full in that part of their life. And it's almost more commendable, in my opinion, for it to be sought out in an open way with a partner rather than to be done behind their back in a cheating sense. So having a very open discussion about, hey, can we have an adulterous type of situation that you're aware of within boundaries almost sounds to me preferable than finding out that my spouse is cheating on me because there's no security. And this is another thing about monogamy that I think that made me realize we're not actually monogamous is the idea that with a monogamous relationship within the animal kingdom, if they have an adulterous relationship, that's it for them. It's just an adulterous relationship. They're still bonded to their to their their mate and they stay with their mate. And very rarely, if their mate dies, do they actually find another pair bonded relationship. With us with adulterous relationships, 
sometimes that adulterous relationship really is something that they would prefer to have as a committed love than the romantic love. And that's when they leave their their spouse for someone that they're cheating with. That makes us different too. And if you understand that monogamy is structured in such a way that you would not leave your spouse for someone that you're cheating with, that says to me that in general, human beings aren't monogamous. Even in a social monogamous way, like many other mammals, we're still not even that. Let that sink in for a little bit, because for me, I'm still kind of struggling with the whole concept of what actually are we then if we're not. It's crazy, but it's true. And we can see the patterns and we can see all the books about it and all the people that we know personally who have experienced this to know that that's, that's actually what's going on. We're not actually monogamous at all. So if we now know that we're not monogamous in general, why do we have such a bad opinion about non-monogamous relationships? Why do we have such such venom, such ethical and moral disdain towards it? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have been in some ways indoctrinated into the idea of monogamy being the 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 prize in our relationships. And if you look at literature, if you look at religion, if you look at most structures, that's kind of what we've been fed since forever. I haven't, I can't think of a single story that has a non-monogamous plot in the story. And if it is, it's usually done in a, my husband, my wife cheated on me, we broke up, and now I'm finding love again. And those are usually in romance novels, and those do not have a very good reputation. They're kind of almost looked down on. I don't think of any polyamorous stories that I can think of in literature specifically that are promoted. And the polyamorous television shows are almost scandalous. They're, which is crazy. It's just, why do you think we want to be monogamous so badly? And that's a question I'm going to put a pin in for later. Just think about it because I have, I have my own theories. Like a weirdo. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now that we have a pin in that, let's talk about a, a few scientific research outside of Dr. Fisher's. Um, let's look at some statistics. So people in their 20s, and this is actually uh, turning into more of a trend than it used to be. People in their 20s are about 60, over 60% um, okay with a polyamorous relationship, though very few of them, um, actual 6%, um, this might be higher now, but about 6% actually engage in them. So the idea of a polyamorous relationship at least with the majority of people in their 20s, there's a lot more dialogue about it and more people are engaging in them in their 20s now. Um, I did see one person who conjectured that perhaps that this is something that people in their 20s might need to seek out in order to understand better dynamics in relationships. And he also conjectured that later on they would might become monogamous when they wanted to start a family, though, though there's no proof backing that up. Okay, so there is no proof backing that up. However, there is a lot of scientific ideas on why we seek out monogamy outside of a just a cultural idea. And it's more of a social need that has been established since like the early humanity of 
as much as it would be nice. Hello, baby. You're so mad you can't just sit with me, huh? Come here, baby. There's room right here. Come on. If I move too much, I will knock my computer off and I will be very angry. Come here, Grimmy. Grim. Grim. Okay, just leave me alone then. Okay, so the idea monogamy might have been something that we as humans use is for the idea of raising children. Uh, for the need of them to have a place to live in, have food to eat, and having a partner work with you in that. Having someone that goes out and does the hunting while the other person is the main caretaker for the child and maintains the household kind of is a structure even from prehistoric times. More than likely is why we developed into a mainly monogamous leaning society because we really did need to have multiple people or one other person at least to take care of the family. That's the conjecture right now. I would like to raise an idea on now that we live in a more modern society where there's a lot more single parents, there's a lot more um, single income that can be sustained within our lives. Perhaps that's why there are a lot more non-monogamous relationships being sought after because we're realizing that the needs are being filled with, you know, household and food for our children. I just think that now society is, is has shifted so much that non-monogamous relationships might become more and more prevalent and more acceptable as we become more farther removed from a hunter-gatherer society. So that's my guess right now of why it, it is kind of trending and becoming more popular. So let's think about our own reasons why you might be monogamous. I know my reasonings behind it. And the reason why I feel like I need only one person to fulfill my romantic needs might be the idea because I am single right now, like I don't have a spouse. And so I'm seeking out that romantic love. And I, I don't feel like I have the ability to share it with more than one person and I would like to, I guess everyone has their Cinderella fantasy, you know, having the Prince Charming going out for them and only them, no one else in the entire kingdom could fulfill them and brings her, her glass slipper and then she gets married. I feel, feel like a lot of people kind of seek that out being special, being significant to someone, which is why you have a significant other. I think that's probably why I lean more monogamous because I do want to have that special someone, not multiple people, see me and commit to me over everyone else. It's kind of, in a way, somewhat of a selfish perspective, the way that we want to be monogamous, I would have to say. Let's talk about a little bit more on the structure of non-monogamous relationships, specifically with polyamory. With polyamory... I think we have a very negative view on it just because we believe it is a way of people to not fully commit to people or to seek out sexual desires or sexual fantasies um, instead of having a healthy uh, pair bonded relationship. I think that is the dialogue that's around it. And I don't think it's fair 
because it doesn't look into the actual facts of what's going on in a polyamorous relationship. It just like sees the term and uses associations and puts slanderous terms towards it. When actuality, uh, most monogamous relationships have boundaries and have set rules. And some of them are even more strict than they would be in a, a monogamous relationships for obvious reasons. There's other people involved. And that's not something that we are raised to understand and so we have to set our own structures if you're going to be setting that out. Uh, something fascinating within those polyamorous relationships, like I stated earlier, there's like eight different types. And some of those types are one person feels that they must have a polyamorous des desires met while the other partner in their relationship, the pair bonded part of it, the other uh, part of the pair bond feels like their needs are met in a monogamous way. And so they have to set a boundary in order for both partners to be fulfilled that way. And it's not a lawless world. I feel like this is something relatable in a monogamous idea. Every person has a different idea of what cheating is. Some people think that uh, if their partner views pornography, it's cheating. Or some people might think that emotional cheating on someone uh, with someone they follow on Instagram is cheating, whereas another person might not. It, it really is kind of up to the individual. It's up to every different person. And that kind of goes the same for a polyamorous relationship or any non-monogamous relationship. Even with open relationships, there are people who have rules of how far it can go. And there is something that I think we also take out of the conversation when we're talking about non-monogamous relationships is we assume that everyone's okay with everything that's going on. We assume that they are almost like superhuman when we talk about it, if you're if you're not judging them initially and being like, you're not committal or like you're non-committal, you don't have any idea of what real love is, all the, all this like really negative rhetoric that's towards them. If you're not doing that, then we assume that they're almost like superhuman and have no jealousy in their body, that they're super like free love, open-minded, chill people. But that's not actually true. There's still jealousy. There's still feelings of guilt within a, a polyamorous relationship once you have been pair bonded to someone. And that's just purely, purely scientific. It has nothing to do with um, it not being natural or monogamy being natural in comparison. It, it literally is just down to the chemicals in our body reacting to what we're doing. Um, I think it was uh, Dr. Dr. Fisher who talked about how in her experience with people who are in non-monogamous relationships, they tend to talk about their jealous feelings more than people in a monogamous relationship would. It comes up a lot and they have to talk about it constantly in order to maintain the health of their relationship. They also need to talk about feelings of guilt. If like there isn't someone actually being jealous, they might feel guilty about partaking into some sort of romantic love with someone because they are still in love with this other person. So it just, it's not that they're superhuman. It's not that they, they don't have feelings like the rest of us. It's not like they don't have feelings of jealousy. It's they're more open, trusting, and loyal to their partner and believe that their partner can communicate in a healthy way with them that when these feelings come up, they're able to discuss it. They're able to get through it and they're able to maintain what they want out of their relationship without losing something in order to keep their partner. Let's look at my favorite topic, the neuroscience. Now, so this was the part that actually I had to know. I, beyond like the psychological, societal, um, um, ethical views of it, I really wanted to know the science, like the neuroscience behind how someone who is pair bonded to someone else can 
feel love or romantic love for someone outside of that structure. If we are truly quote unquote monogamous, to me, seeing things in the animal kingdom which function under the same type of chemicals, it shouldn't be possible. And yet I see it happening. So let's find out how. My first question was, is there an actual neuroscientific difference between people who are feeling monogamous and the people who feel like they are not monogamous? And the answer I have for you is yes, as far as what we can see in the animal kingdom. So far in with actual human structures, it's hard to determine this and we can only use uh, animal testing to really give you a full answer based on, you know, theory at this point. However, I feel like the theory and what we can see within human behavior, it would make sense to me. So let's talk about that with the prairie vole study. So you have the prairie vole study I talked about earlier. They had two separate type of voles, the monogamous voles and the non-monogamous voles. The non-monogamous voles that they studied, however, never pair bonded. So it's a little different than what I'm talking about where someone can be pair, like can be pair bonded and have feel love and all of this wonderful goodness with multiple people. With the prairie voles that are non-monogamous, they literally just like, have free love and that's it no no bonding at all and the monogamous moles are paramonded those were the studies and they studied the brains of these two voles in the study they noticed that the monogamous voles had denser oxytocin receptors than those that were non-monogamous and in the areas of the brain that, that the monogamous moles had oxytocin receptors is the same that a human has in their brain. So this leads scientists to believe that the reason why we might be monogamous just in the animal kingdom in general, including humans, is because of these oxytocin receptors. Ooh. To help prove this, they used a chemical blocker of oxytocin and they placed it in those receptors in the brains of the monogamous of the monogamous bulls uh, prior to pair bonding and had them mate. And after they mated, they noticed that they did not bond. Therefore, ipso facto, <laughs> it shows that having the receptors for oxytocin in that part of the brain is important for us to pair bond and therefore important for monogamous relationships to function. I wonder if this has anything to do with us as humans for those of us who are able to be non-monogamous. If we somewhere in our structure are oxytocin receptors we're not stimulated, has a blockage or something to that extent in that part of our brain for those who are non-monogamous. And that is why they do not feel full in their relationship with one partner. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not dissing anyone. I'm like purely speaking scientific questions because it would make sense to me. If you do not have the ability to feel the oxytocin in that part of the brain or the receptors being blocked, then that would explain the non-monogamous leaning. And it also makes me wonder 
if that person, like this is pure conjecture, if that person who feels like they're non-monogamous was able to find a way to stimulate enough oxytocin to either overcome the blockage or find a way to like supplement something to get rid of the blockage in their brain in regards to oxytocin, would they lose the desire to be non-monogamous? I think it would be an interesting study and I want someone to do it who actually has funding because I would love to, to have this whole thing blown up and really looked at. All right, so I'm going to take a little bit of time off of the neuroscience of it and go back to the psychology of it for a moment. Um, beyond that oxytocin receptor issue, I wonder if it also has to do with our level of security in our attachment styles. Going back to attachment theory, it would seem to me that if a person is secure in their attachment to someone, it would be easier for you to trust your partner and not feel abandoned and therefore engaging in a non-monogamous relationship might be easier for you. It also might be that if you lean towards the what is it? The, um, no, I, I think any other insecure attachment style would not be able to function in a healthy level in a non-monogamous relationship. All right. Um, I did mention this earlier, but I kind of want to hit on this just because I think it has a lot to do with our attachment styles. And that is the conversation of when a non-monogamous person engages in a pair-bonded relationship with a monogamous person, and then the non-monogamous person would like to seek out a non-monogamous structure with that person, how is it possible for the monogamous person to maintain that relationship? And I think it has a lot to do with their attachment style. I think they would have to be a secure attachment in their life if they have any type of insecure attachment, I think it'd be very hard for them to be able to trust their partner and think they would feel abandoned a lot faster and they would probably end the relationship if I know anything about the science. Then there is this element of a desire for children with the monogamous person. So I do think it is possible for a non-monogamous relationship to have children and to feel secure in that. But for a non-monogamous person plus a monogamous person to be engaging in this type of relationship, the monogamous person eventually, if they desire children, is going to have that um, prehistoric draw to having just their partner like engage in that uh, environment. And it would be more likely, not impossible, but more likely that they would want to end any type of non-monogamous engagements outside of their uh, pair-bonded relationship. However, if that monogamous person doesn't have any desire for children, it more than likely, uh, based on what I can see in the research, would be able to maintain a non-monogamous streak a lot longer. I don't know, however, 
of any people who are monogamous engaging in these relationships and wanting it to stay forever. And I feel like they're more in a relationship with their non-monogamous partner that ebbs and flows, that it has a part of their relationship that is non-monogamous, some of it that is monogamous, uh, depending on what part of their life they're in and what they need from that engagement. And there's actually a really interesting episode uh, done by the podcast Call Her Daddy a year ago where there was a a person being interviewed who is non-monogamous and his partner is also non-monogamous. Or at least as as I understand, they both are um, that way. But because they were starting a family, they decided to withdraw from the uh, seeking out that second type of love outside of their pair-bonded relationship in order to focus on their family. So it's not always what we assume it's going to be. And it seems like with this kind of structure, if the person is going to be monogamous, it would have a leaning towards stints in their relationship, uh, withdrawing from any other people in their life. Um, another question that I have, um, that's kind of just in the scientific world in general is the idea of love which is very hard for anyone to define. It's very hard for anyone to really be able to give a good definition of what love is. However, it does seem that those who are in a non-monogamous relationship feel love differently. They find uh, different ways to describe it to monogamous people that honestly, I don't understand it. And it's very difficult for me to grasp some of the uh, concepts that they try to use is, well, you have multiple different animals Uh, that are your pets. Like you could have a fish, you could have a lizard, you could have a cat and a dog, and you love them all equally yet differently for different reasons. And they serve different type of love functions for you. And that's kind of how that person feels about it. Whereas another person kind of uses the idea of like, well, with platonic love with your siblings, none of your siblings are the same, yet you love them all equally. It's like that, but for a romantic love. It's hard for me to understand it because I function under a lot of indoctrination under the monogamous structure of Cinderella, Pride and Prejudice, Romeo and Juliet idea of one and done. So you're supposed to, in my my brain, leans towards the idea that you're supposed to fall in love one time with one person and it's supposed to be beautiful and long-lasting and forever. So, though it's not really how reality works. Um, So what we would need to understand is understand what is love, because that I feel like is the main denominator between non-monogamous relationships within the animal kingdom and with us is love. We're able to feel it. We're able to coin it. We're able to write songs about it. Um, even in songs, we don't really talk about polyamorous relationships, so that, which I find interesting. Why don't we have that more? Because it's been around for centuries. It's always painted very negatively. And I would like to see a lot more dialogue about it in a more positive light and just see how our society changes. I think it would be a fascinating thing to do. Um, so, yes, I feel like we as human beings able to feel love is what makes it different. But because we can feel love for multiple people just at different times in our life. However, I can say there have been times where I was in love with two people at the same time and I felt so conflicted because I felt like I had to choose. 
I had to choose eventually. I couldn't be in love with both of them. So, though I still think I'm a monogamous person, I can understand being in love with two different people and having that concept of I love them for different reasons. But the only difference was is I felt like I had to choose. So, That's kind of the as thus far as I've done on my research, um, as far as it goes with non-monogamous relationships. And I hope that I kind of have brought a little bit more of a healthier discourse about it, a little bit more of a positive light that is non-judgmental um, from a, a monogamous-leaning person on this topic. And I hope that anyone that's listening to this can kind of have their eyes open and take a little bit of their judgment out of their day towards a person that is living differently than you. Someone who's loving, living, and functioning at a different level from you. Not higher or lower, just different. I apologize for how long this has taken for me to get out. Um, I've been very busy trying to move my life across the country. So here I am again. Um, if you would like to hear from me on any topics or are just enjoying this podcast in general from a person who just enjoys science, you know, give me a give me a follow, rate me, leave a review, let a friend know. Um, I will be back soon with some really exciting stuff. I think I'll, I'll do a life update soon because not that I have anything really exciting right now, but there is something I, I want to talk about that happened about a month ago that... Uh, it took me a while to really process, but it was basically like I was living my own euphoria episode. So if you like euphoria or if you like Pretty Little Lies or any of those really dramatic shows, I have got a story for you. Let me tell you. So I'm going to talk about that uh, next week. Thank you for tuning in um, and thank you for watching anyone that's on YouTube. I hope you like my cute little like display that I made and uh, I will see you at another time. Okay. Love yourself. Love your partner and uh, stop judging people. Okay. Bye.
baby. What? Are you doing your interpretation of me? Are you doing your interpretation of me? Great.